You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening again. It is Friday the 28th of October. It is still raining in Melbourne. It's crying baby rain. You think it has to stop at some point, but it doesn't seem to want to. But we're all set for the Victoria Derby tomorrow and the Melbourne Cup itself on Tuesday. I've had the great honour of uh, giving the keynote speech today at the Carbine Club lunch. Um, I wasn't quite anticipating the thousand-odd people in the room, um, but having got that terrifying experience out of the way I can now concentrate on bringing you all the news from here which will include an interview with the trainers now with the first and second favorite in the race James Ferguson and Ed Crisford in a few moments time I say now because Loft the German challenger and the intended mount of James McDonald will not run he was found to have swelling around a tendon today he cannot run in the Melbourne Cup. In a little while, I'll be checking in with Jane Mangan for her thoughts on the news back home, which includes the Jockeys' Championship in Ireland, proposed changes to the Jumps Jockeys' title in England, the Weatherby's return of mares, and, of course, all the racing this weekend featuring the Charlie Hall chase at Weatherby. Plus, I'll be catching up with Jamie Moore ahead of Goshen's fascinating chasing debut at Ascot. But first of all, here in Melbourne, and two men who are within touching distance of giving Britain just its second victory in the Melbourne Cup. Well, the two most sought-after people in the whole of Melbourne at the moment are trainers James Ferguson and Ed Crisford. Once they shared a house, now they are sharing the journey of having important runners in the Melbourne Cup, and they have two of the first three in the market as well, Dover the Legend and Without a Fight. Uh, Here they are at the Carbine Club lunch of 2022. James, first of all, what's the experience been like so far? We've talked a lot about the horse, but what's this whole experience been like for you? Not a stranger to it. I mean, it's fair to say that there isn't really a a carnival uh, like it. Um, I mean, the enthusiasm of racing in this country um, is something that I'd never experienced before. And um, ever since I was last down here, I I knew that I wanted to come back. Um, So it's been tremendous fun. We've been incredibly well looked after. And, um, you know, now we've been here and seen the experience. All we want to do is win the Melbourne Cup. Ed, you guys have known each other an awful long time. Is it in any way slightly surreal that you're sharing this experience together? It's very surreal. And it's to share the, the ride, the journey, with a best friend, James, which is just unbelievable, really, because we're, 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 we're around here in Melbourne. We're going to every lunch, every dinner. And to share the media storm as well, which is just huge down here. It's something that we just don't experience up back in England. And to, to share that together is, is great, it's great. And there's been a lot of banter along the way and it's been a lot of fun. It's, it's hard to explain. It's my first time to the Melbourne Cup as well. And, and everyone said, oh, it's huge. But I didn't quite appreciate just how huge it was and just how close, James, it is to the national psyche here relative to races elsewhere in the world. I mean, it's a national holiday in this country. Um, you know, we think we've experienced um, that much already, you know, come Derby Day tomorrow and then, and then the parade on Monday. 
you know, it's it's as if your movie stars and the whole of Australia <laughs> want to know who you are. I, I mean, it is. It's it's an incredible opportunity. Who do you think is relaxing into the role of movie star better, you or, or Ed Christmas? Uh, Ed's taken this by with, with two hands. <laughs> you know, it was quite funny. We I, I can say this, but we we did an interview the other day, and um, you know, I I came off the stage and handed them for a microphone to Edward. And he started waving at everyone, saying, "Thanks, guys. Good to see you. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me." I mean, his interview that hadn't was at e- seven in the morning. His interview hadn't even started. I mean, he's really, really taken this by the scruff of the neck. It, it, it is one way to get over the jet lag, that's for sure. Let's talk about these horses, uh, Ed. We haven't given without a fight perhaps as much love as we have Dover Legend so far. Should we be paying more attention to him? I think definitely we should be. He brings some seriously good form into uh, the race. He's, he's uh, you know, he just got touched off by Hookham. He went on to win the Coronation Cup at Epsom. Um, and so that's some seriously good form. He's, he'll stay in his pedigree. He's by Tufilio. Tufilio's got a great cup record. He's won it twice. He's a very strong influence for stamina, isn't he? I always look at Tufilio's and think, God, if only he'd stayed in training <laughs> after he was a two-year-old, he probably would have won a triple crown. Exactly. And exactly. And he actually is, he's, I think, is the only stallion to uh, every year have won a Group 1 uh, since he's um, been covering. So he's a very, very good stallion. And... Um, yeah, he brings so with that fight he brings some great form into the race. He'll stay, um, and he's a he's an older horse. And I think for me, travelling a horse halfway across across the world, you you, you do, and this is not no regard to James, his three year old, but you, you just need a bit of experience. And uh, he's been to Dubai and he's been around the world. He's been in some big races and. That should put him in good stead. Or do you need the experience? Cross counter won this as a three-year-old gelding with seven, I think, runs under his belt. Your horse has had half a dozen, Deauville legend, James. Um, How has he coped with it all mentally so far? He travelled over very well, um, so I was happy with that. He settled into Werribee Werribee nicely. Um, You know, we we have been lucky to have Edward here um, with with Yeah, It's not just you two that are pals. The horses horses genuinely now are inseparable. Absolutely. You know, they... um, You know, Simon, Ed and Dan, the rider, have been very, very good to us and, um, you know, we're very grateful. Um, But we've really, really settled in nicely now and um, it's just very different, you know, for for a three-year-old, you know, effectively still a baby. It's it's very different bringing him here. You know, he's trained up Warren Hill every day at Newmarket, bringing him here to a flat track, uh, training him on his own as such. Um, But my team have done a wonderful job and he's he's thriving. He he looks great and, uh, I mean, I mean, Without a fight, looks fantastic. I mean, if I if I couldn't pick pick my own, you know, I'd, I would definitely be be um, be betting on without a fight, especially with the weights. You can almost touch it, can't you? You can almost touch it. I mean, it's very tempting when we have to do these these press releases and and, and the cup standing right next to us. Um, <laughs> yeah. You'd love to just reach over and take it. Yeah, no, I like I I agree with James. It's a uh, you know, uh, it's 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 an amazing thing. This whole week or this whole build up and. The horse is in great form. We're here and we're ready to rock and roll and uh, looking forward to the race. All right, that's what's happening here in Melbourne and more from here a little bit later on. Jane Mangan is at home in Ireland. I'm going to check in with her now just to see what's happening uh, back home. Jane, first of all, let's talk about tomorrow's feature race in the UK, which is for the time of year, uh, a proper old school clash between good and up and coming horses. That's the Charlie Hall chase at Weatherby. How do you see it shaping shaping up? 
it is a proper race. Uh, you mentioned some of the novices from last year coming into open company. That is a hoist in your and brave man's game meeting Sam Brown, Elder, uh, uh, Eldorado Allen and secret investor win my wings last year's uh, Welsh national winner. But uh, how do I see it shaping up? You've got seven runners, so it's going to be a little bit tactical. Uh, a hoist in your absolutely hammered brave man's game when they last met at Aintree. Brave man's game has subsequently had a wind up over the over the summer break. And it wouldn't surprise me if Paul Nichols's horse was ripe and ready to, to return to winning action. But I think Ahoy Senor is the more talented of the two long-term. Uh, obviously, a lot of focus on his jumping. Ahoy Senor has unquestionably a huge engine, but he does look very novice at some of his fences. So um, he might be the one that will be most vulnerable on Chase debut in open company tomorrow. But long-term, if I was given a prospect to take home, It'll be Lucinda, Lucinda Russell's horse. That's a hoy senor. And we spoke to Lucinda Russell earlier in the week about him. You can catch that interview on Monday's episode. And I spoke to Joe Tizard on yesterday's episode about El Dorado Allen. Any other highlights at Weatherby that we should be looking out for? This, this is a good quality card. You've got the mayor's listed hurdle. Yes, there's only five runners, which is a little bit disappointing, but the skeletons are going for back-to-back wins in the race with Molly Ollie's wishes. Last year, she beat Zambella and Marie's Rock. I don't think it's as strong as a renewal this year. She's Martello Sky is probably the best she has to beat. Uh, you've got the Bet365 hurdle, which is a great two-run uh, graded race as well. Six runners, a little bit disappointing small field, but you've got Sporting John, Prashmina, Indigafatigable, 300 through five, all quality horses. And I suppose a lot of eyes will be on the Novice Handicap Chase at Ascot, their opening race. Just four runners, but fascinating to see how Goshen, the horse that has... Grab many headlines for many a wrong reason, but we all know the ability is there. How will he fare on his debut over fences in public? I have a funny feeling he'll be very good. Right. Well, Jane gives Goshen a vote of confidence for his chasing debut. What about his rider, Jamie Moore, most importantly? Jamie, how's he been getting on over the bigger over the bigger obstacles? Yeah, he's been schooling well, Nick. Um, yeah, so it's, it's all gone pretty smooth. He's schooling. Um, he's he doesn't seem too erratic or anything like that and it's a it's obviously Ascot takes a bit of jumping but it's a lovely start at Ascot where you, you climb the hill first and before you start rolling down the hill so um, hopefully he can get his confidence up and pop away nicely and then once we go down the hill because it, it could just be a little bit greasy down the hill at Ascot where we've had a very dry summer and the white fences and things horses are looking at these and that, that you just got to be a bit mindful of that but um, hopefully if he gets his confidence up early and then we can have a nice ride around. Well, that's interesting. Uh, so the, the the new rails, the, the the whiter rails rather than the orange ones, that's that's actually having an impact, is it? Yeah, def- definitely. Um, I mean, we, we, we got the Dulux out back in the summer and painted everything, so hopefully it's okay. But yeah, I mean, we, we when the meeting got called off at um, Huntingdon a few weeks ago, horses were slipping. And for me, it's kind of the early races where we had a juvenile hurdle first and then a novice chase second, small fields, horses were where we had a firm ground summer and watered ground on top. And looking at the white things, it was cause, causing horses to slip and faking them a couple of weeks ago changed their program around. They put a handicap chase and a handicap hurdle first so the older horses could just dig up the ground a little bit, you know. So, um yeah, they, 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 they were innovative there. But, yeah, I think it could be a little bit greasy at Ascot on Saturday, and it'll be because a combination of things, really. But, mm. um, 
all the jockeys are wise to it nowadays. <laughs> I'm honest with you, I'd always rather ride a horse over a fence than a hurdle. Um, horses do, they, they, they do respect them more and uh, and and back off them. And, and he, he, he should be backing off them. He's, he's been in touch where he's been pretty good. And I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be a better chaser than Hurdler. Um, but there's no, he hasn't showed us any signs that he dislikes it or we, we haven't had any problems. He's been schooling for a long time though. We, we've always, he's always jumped a lot and um, he's been jumping baby fences probably since he was three year old, you know, mm. so um, I don't think there's going to be too much of a problem. And obviously tomorrow it's, this isn't an issue you're going to have to worry about, but the whole left hand, right hand thing. Do you think this is just something strange in his head, or or do you think it's something yeah. something physical? I think it's strange in his head, and I mean, the, only because he's high, high profile horse. But there's a lot of authorised they do hang right, and uh, we've had quite a few, and they 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 a lot of them do hang right. The occasional one hangs left, but a lot of authorised do have a little pink to them where they they, they they do hang he's, he's actually not the only one but because a lot of them are just probably 120 horses 130 people don't really notice so um but yeah it is it is it's something he's done since he was a two-year-old mm. you know but at the end of the day he still would have won a triumph going left-handed but it has got progressively worse though. yes so we'll be sticking to right-handed tracks um yeah, yeah, yeah. you've got an incredible book of rides um six horses all of whom with some sort of a chance apart from him which one are you looking forward to riding the most um i really like nasalam uh nasalam and cop mask they they would be my um my my next possibly yeah nasalam and cop mask would they're, they're, they're um they're fairly straightforward fullback he 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 won at cheltenham last year uh, it was quite a competitive race it is, but he he's been working well, so he goes there with, with, with a small chance. But I mean, Goshen is my best ride, and then after that, like, they, they've got nearly twenty chances, you know. And are you running Invincible Neo? Yeah, he runs. Yeah, um, he's he's not straightforward though. He's very very keen, very very keen. Um, he's been quite tricky to train since he come over from France. So, and I think a nine pound penalty is. Um, it's going to make his life hard. Well, at least you've had a nice straightforward ride round on uh, on Goshen to get your eye in. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Goshen will be all right. He'll be, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Jamie, thanks so much for talking to me. All the best. Okay, thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Well, Jane Mangan is, is back with me. Jane, a couple more defections from the Breeders' Cup. Saffron Beach is out and Bayside Boy is out so they won't run in the philly and mare turf and the mile respectively so it's now baybridge won't run bayside boy won't run saffron beach won't run blackbeard won't run uh it's a it's getting a slightly too long list of defectors for my comfort yeah it's they're quality horses and it's sad that we won't see many of them again we know we won't see blackbeard again and we know saffron beach is going to the sales uh in tatterstalls to bring the curtain down in her career so um it's probably the end of a long season for some of these horses and while they have their targets they have a couple of key pieces of work and we know what can happen when that screw is turned interesting to read today charlie appleby's feature with uh emma berry in the tdn he's obviously such a record in the breeders cup and he's bringing a quality led by modern games he's bringing such a quality squad across so i think britain will still be very well represented ireland representation 
pin on the ground. But the last time we went to Keeneland in 2020, we had a good record of, I think we took four, I think we took all four of the older turf races, all the older turf races, grade one races. Um, will we be able to repeat that feat this year, Nick? I, uh, well, I would have said yes until a few days ago when horses started coming out. But the, the mile is an excellent race with, with really good horses from Europe and and the United States. You would think that modern games and Kin Ross give us a, a, a very strong hand in that race. Again, really quite a strong hand from from the UK and Ireland in the, in the turf. Uh, although now that we don't have Bay Bridge and we don't have Adair, who was looking like running at some point, that race won't take quite as much winning as perhaps it it was going to. But still, with the two Applebys, Rebels Romance and uh, the horse that was winning earlier in the year in the States, Nation's Pride, plus Mishriff, who I think could be under bet. He's he's probably a bet now, that horse. He could do anything. Nothing nothing would surprise. It is his last start before he goes to stand in France uh, as a stallion. And he's been a little bit unlucky. We, we'll all go back to the Eclipse run, but I think he's actually run a lot better than some of us have given him credit for um, throughout the season. I think the Platinum Queen, for me, I think that would be huge for Holly Doyle and Richard Fahey. She's lightning quick, that filly. And she's not just a two-year-old. When people, when the fans see her in the in the paddock, they're going to see a big filly and they're going to be impressed that she's done as much running as she has done as a juvenile already. Fahey's also bringing over Midnight Mile. Meditated a filly I've followed all season, so I'm not about to... Um, I'm not about to disregard her. So, yeah, this is plenty to look forward to. But you're in Australia. You're in Melbourne Cup two-mile mode. So we can talk about America in a couple of days' time. Yeah, we will. We're, of course, build, building up, continuing our build-up for the Breeders' Cup on the show. Um, let's talk about the return of mares, Weatherby's return of mares, where you can see a statistical guide to how many mares stallions have covered and also what's going where or who's been where, Jane. What are the key headlines here? So everybody will automatically jump, and myself included, to the number of mares that each individual stallion covered. But it is, I think the return of mares, along with their fact book from Weatherby's, is a fair indication of the health of the breeding industry. So we can take it that there is a slight increase in the number of foals registered in Britain and Ireland. So that would be deemed a positive. Um, for the second year in a row, a finacy. So Ronnie O'Neill's, uh, so, uh, see the stars, brother to... Sorry, Ronnie O'Neill's See the Stars horse for the second year in a row is the busiest stallion in Britain and Ireland. He covered 382 mares. That's a staggering amount of mares. He leads ahead of Chris Lotion, who covered 352. Um, aside from them, the busiest flat horse was Sue Nation and Starman, both covering 255 ahead of Memas and Vadimos, who covered 250 apiece. In the UK, Ardad was the busiest sire. He received 205 mares at Overbury Stud. Of course, that's probably on the back of that brilliant season he enjoyed with perfect power. The next busiest sires in the UK were Frankel, who covered 188. Logician, son of Frankel, who covered 183. Time Test, 181. Havana Gray, 166. And Dubawi, the 20-year-old Dubawi, covering 165 mares. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to say that Dubawi looks like he's set to record his first British and Irish sire title because he's over a million clear 
of his nearest pursuer, Frankel. And wouldn't isn't that just such a deserved title for him to get? Some of the mares he covered this year is absolutely cream of the crop. He covered four mares who themselves won Group 1s on the track and have already produced Group 1 winners on the track themselves. So that's Dare Me, the dam of Too Darn Hot. Misty for me, the dam of Roly-Poly and US Navy flag. Nighttime, the dam of Gay Athens, Rukova and Rhododendron. Obviously the dam of August Rodan. But amongst uh, his other book of mares is Odaria, Glass Slippers, Hermosa, Lawrence, Legatissimo, Enable, Fancy Blue, Voracious, Lady Bothorp and Zukova. The list goes on and on. What a plethora of mares. But Nick, I have a quiz, quiz question for you. I know you're oh. really busy in Australia. Yeah. But I just want to make sure that you're not getting comfortable over there. And I want well. to just bring you back down to earth, right? Mm-hmm. So 2022, Affinity covered 382 mares. Yep. I want to take a step back. Ten years. Who was the busiest stallion ten years ago? All right. Britain or Ireland? Ireland jumping. Yeah. Okay. He Ireland sired jumping. a couple of very wayward but talented chasers. For, oh, my God. It can't be Scorpion, can it? You're good. 341 mares ten years ago Shut were up. the top top stallion the scorpion now we're going to go back further we polluted, back. we polluted the gene pool with that many scorpions we're going to go back 20 years ago yeah and we're going to back 2002 which horse double barrel name standing in ireland covered 383 mares 20 they years loved, ago they loved heavy ground they were slow slogging oh, got it got it that's easy turtle island Turtle Island covered 383 mares. And just to round it all off, if you can get this, I'd be very, very impressed. In 2000, there was a stallion covered 393 mares. Again, a double barrel name. Stood in Ireland. They were slow. Um, well, they're jumpers, so they are going to be slow. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. This is a tricky one. This is a tricky one, I would say. Something like... I don't know, was it something like King's Ride or? No, no, to be fair, it's probably a little bit vague, but uh, like the aforementioned pair, he wasn't deemed a success. He was actually deemed a massive disappointment. That was Sadler's Hall. Sadler's Hall, okay. All right, thank you. There was a lot expected. There was a lot expected. So I just wanted to emphasize, when I read the numbers that were released this year, I was thinking, oh my God, we're... Nearing the 400 mark, there will be a sire soon cover 400, but it isn't new. This isn't a new phenomenon. This has been happening for over 20 years. Be My Native covered huge books as well. So just to remind people that uh, what's happening in 2022 has been happening for a very long time. I'm still trying to get over the scorpion thing. I suppose he did get my bite. Anyway, right. I know you like to talk about a jockey's championship. Let's talk about two of them. This Irish championship, first of all, where are we at with Billy Lee and Colin Keane? So Billy Lee goes into this evening's meeting at Dundalk, one winner ahead, 89-88. Now we know Billy has um, picked up a two, a six-day suspension, which will rule him out of the last two days of the season. So it will rule him out of Dundalk on November 4th and Nace, the final day of the season, on November 6th. But he has lodged an appeal. So his appeal is expected to be heard uh, before racing this Wednesday, and we'll find out whether he can 
get that shortened or delayed or some kind of a reprieve on that. But at the moment, he's one winner ahead of Colin Keane. Reminder, Billy Lee could have been backed at 50 to 1 at the beginning of this season. He's got five rides tonight at Dundalk. Keane has six rides. Every race, whether it's a mundane handicap or an interesting maiden, is being watched with these two guys in mind. It's providing a lot of entertainment over here. It surely is. What about the British Jump Jockeys Championship? There's there's been a call to truncate it or do something different with it because we've got a, a leader that is a long way clear already, as was the case every time Tony McCoy won it for 20 consecutive years. Jane, what do you think of that idea? It's an, it's an idea. I never had an issue with it when AP McCoy was blitzing through the summer and he was working so hard that nobody could get near him, only Richard Johnson. Uh, currently, Brian Hughes is sitting on 92 winners. He's uh, well ahead of his nearest pursuer, Sean Bone, who's on 66, and Paddy Brennan, who's on 42. So people are suggesting maybe it's an uninteresting uh, championship. I disagree. I think the champion jockey is the hardest working jockey. That is this at the moment, Brian Hughes. Um, as I said, we never had an issue when AP McCoy was racking up absolutely crazy numbers. And if you're riding through the summer, chances are you might pick up an injury or two along the way. That makes it interesting, but that also makes it uh, the toughest of championships to win. Uh, we're talking about fat I, championships. I think, honestly, Jane, I think we damn that guy with faint praise by saying he's hard working and he's just racking up winners. It he's a he. You'd be hard pushed to argue that he's not the best jumps jockey around. Yeah, well, that all, almost goes without saying when you're champion jockey. I, I, you know, he is incredibly talented. He actually rides like a flat jockey. He's so balanced and stylish and you know he's awesome over a fence so no I'm not for one minute saying he's just hard working you don't a lot of people work hard and don't make it you have to have the talent to, to go with it long story short do I think it should be like the flat season no I enjoy watching the best over the summer we often talk about summer racing the small fields the uncompetitive nature of it but if you can sit down and you can watch Brian Hughes, Sean Bowen and Paddy Brennan, it does bring a bit of class to it. So I definitely wouldn't change uh, the season. There'd be no incentive to ride for the summer otherwise because it doesn't really pay to drive all over the UK for very small money. Only you're going to be racking up winners for your championship. So today I've had uh, the great honour of speaking at the, the Carbine Club Lunch, which is a, a great fixture of the Melbourne Cup Carnival here. Adam Sangster, sign of that great dynasty, uh, is one of the men responsible for organising this. And Adam, how long have you been uh, in Australia now? I've now been here since 1991 and never looked back, to be honest with you. It's been a privilege to live out here. I've got to say, I do live miss England, but um, I'm sure a lot of people would love to come and live out here at the same time. But it's a great place to, to enjoy themselves. And tell me, you know, what, what brought you out here initially? And when did you think, I'm not going home? Uh, I was lucky enough to have my great father, Robert Sangster, uh, enjoy his racing and he loved racing in Australia. He married an Australian and I've got to say, I mean, he won 35 Group 1s down here and he just, he's one of his, uh, his best friends were Australian and he just, um, the Melbourne Cup, he always said, he said it was the longest cocktail party in the world and uh, he had some great horses down here and the shuttle stand-ins was the one thing which did change Change, change, the, change the sort of landscape of breeding down here, which it needed at the time. Do you think, we know the impact that your father had on, on European racing. Do you think, in terms of its relativity to the, the overall uh, health and, and wealth of the sport, that its impact on Australian racing was actually even greater? 
Yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, I've got to say, the, the prize money obviously is seriously good down here, and it will, and it's not going to change. I mean, the thirst for racing and punting is extraordinary. But I'd say that that uh, I mean, your question, I would just going back to the breeding side of things. Um, I mean, you're talking about shuttling stallions, for yes, example. Yes, we are. I mean, shuttling stallions. I mean. When Dad had all those great horses in uh, in Ireland, and they basically, I mean, our breeding season is different to the Northern Hemisphere. I mean, the breeding season down here starts on the first of September and goes through to mid-January. And with the with the sort of the, the advance in air travel, and with these great companies like IRT, International Racehorse Transport, and the veterinary welfare side of things, one could actually travel stallions down here. The significant thing, Nick, down here about what I mean, Australia is part said. Mark Cummings said, he said, the race courses in England were made for the horses. In Australia, we were made for the people. We're a very young, young sort of a, a, a nation here. I mean, we're only 400 years old. You know, we've got American technology and European, um, European culture, but the race courses themselves are very tight. So what a lot of the trainers tended to do was to geld the stallions. And of course, some of the great stallions, or great, sorry, race horses, were geldings because the, the race courses were so tight they were made for the people so you lost lineage and you lost lines and you of of of, of stallions and you lost all of so to have the in, the the induction of european bloodlines was a game changer and of course obviously the greatest one was danehill danehill's impact here has been extraordinary as has the impact of his sons you were here when, when Dane Hill started to, to shuttle. How quickly did it become apparent that he was going to make a huge impact? Well, it was interesting because Dane Hill wasn't, uh, he wasn't respected in Europe as he was in Australia. And, uh, and it was 1993. Yeah, we got there in the end. Yeah, he did. He did. A little bit like Dane Hill Dancer. I stood Dane Hill Dancer uh, in his first year. And he won two Group 1s in Europe. And uh, first year he stood at 15,000. He said, we couldn't give him away at 5,000. And, uh, and then he went from there... And he went to 20,000, 50,000, 100,000. But the recognition was, I mean, Dane Hill suddenly did it, and Sons of Dane Hill, and obviously Redo's Choice, was um, a game changer for everybody down here. Tell me a little bit about your operation now, as it is in 2022. So thanks, Nick, for asking that. We are, we're in Victoria. We're an hour and a half outside Victoria. We've got a 900-acre property, which is on uh, the Goulburn River, which is just bursting with floods at the moment. But uh, we have, we've got six stallions. We're lucky enough to have Al Shakab Racing's uh, Toronado. Who's, who's an absolute storm down here, isn't he? Oh, he's doing a great job. I mean, he, and they're great sales horses. So, you know, high chaparral. People didn't want a high chaparral in Europe. But, I mean, down here, his lineage is really very strong. I mean, you've got Dundeal, you've got uh, Toronado, and you've got a couple of other sons who've done particularly well. But the thirst for him in Hong Kong is massive. But really, our property, we're 900 acres. We'd fall down 100. 160 mares this year. We're probably falling down 200 mares with the floods. We're taking on a lot of other mares which are due to fall. And we don't, we don't consign yearlings anymore. We're sort of very specific. A1, it's all about welfare, not just for horses, but also with the, the staff because they have a very, a very sort of a, a very high intensity uh, sort, of, uh, sort of breeding season. But we don't want them to go straight into from breeding straight into yearlings, which are major sales happen in early January in the first quarter of the year. And in terms of racing horses yourself, Adam, do you do you still get a, a buzz out of that? Is that something that still that still motivates you, or is it all about the breeding? No, it's uh, it's an interesting one. That I mean, for 20 years I've been down here. Personally, I didn't race anything. I was wasn't a man in a hurry, and now I'm lucky enough to be able to 
to uh, lease a few out. So I've got a very good uh, John Foot. He buys fillies. I let him go and I don't get involved. None of our team get involved. He just buys them and I can, I've got the ability to lease them out. And if they're good enough, they come back into my Broomer barn. If they're not, they're on the digital sales and out. And that digital sales has, has been also a game changer because you don't, you, you, they don't have to actually move from the property. They can be sold online and most of the time when you find out who's bought them there they usually stay on the property because you've got a relationship with the person who bought them and from a personal point of view how important is it for you to be carrying on the the sangster tradition in a country that your father loved so much oh it's massively and i've got so i mean i think i think people did look at me for a, a number of years saying you know quite rightly saying is this guy actually going to be is he is he, is he a true blue and I became an Australian in 2006, and I think that was an important part. And uh, married an Australian, and uh, I think it's all about. We're in the entertainment industry, and my father and everybody loves entertaining. Uh, but certainly, I, you know, my family in Europe. I mean, there's a lot of sanctions. We're, you know, we've got 14 sort of uh, 40 nephews and nieces, and Ollie Sankster studying training at Manson under Ben's. With Ben Sankster being there, Sam Sankster's doing brilliant with uh, Isaac, Isaac Shelby and, uh, and Ned Sankster and a few others are on the bookmaking side of things. He'd be very proud, wouldn't he? Oh yeah, we were proud of him, but um, no, we were very, very lucky to have a good start in life. Adam, thanks so much. Thanks, Nick. And the beauty, the beauty of the Melbourne Cup is that you never quite know what's going to run until very late in the day. It can be a, a very dynamic picture. We've heard that Loft is out today. There's been another defection, which means that High Emotion, who won the Bendigo Cup earlier in the week, has got in. As the, at the moment, at number 24, might be, end up being 21-22. Sean Hawkins bred this horse and is, is here now at the Carbine Club lunch. And you've just arrived at the table with a, a broad grin, Sean. What does it mean to you that you, you bred a horse that's got in the cup? Uh, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful feeling. We just That's what you breed horses for, for this sort of thing. So it's nice to have one, to have the opportunity to have a chance of it. It's a filly. Uh, we raised her the mare. We bought uh, We bought the mare. She's uh, first foal went on to be a stakes winner. This is her second foal. Uh, she's taken a little bit of time to get to where she is. But she's had 22 starts for eight wins, and now she's qualified for the cup. So... Yeah, it's outstanding. Very happy. And obviously she's in great form because she won just the other day, but do you look at the race and give her a chance? I think the more distance is going to suit her. The further she goes, the better she's going to get. But obviously it's quality field. It's the Melbourne Cup. She, you know, it's just nice to have one in. And, and tell me, how long, are you here for the whole carnival? No, we've just come over. Um, my brother bred... Bread and owns um, Lickety, she's Lickety Split, which is in the Empire Rose tomorrow. So we come over for that. And if she wins, she gets a million dollar bonus. Is that right? Absolutely. Which uh, I hope my brother will help us out. <laughs> no, absolutely fantastic to have a horse in that too. So uh, carnival's been amazing. We've also um, Manzois that's in the Derby. She, how he was a graduate of our farm too. So. No, it's a great spring carnival for us and we're having, yeah, just having a ball and enjoying it. And there will be people back home thinking, I remember this guy, he's had Royal Ascot success. Just tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that was that was amazing. So Little Bridge uh, won the 2012... Um, Kingstand? Kingstand Stakes. 
Royal Ascot is an amazing time. We'd only just bred our first Group 1 winner, which was Miss Raggedy Ann that ran the railway in New Zealand. And then backed it up straight away with our second Group 1 winner when the Kingstand Stakes. And then from then we've had a few others since. So, yeah, that was the start of what's been an incredible decade. It's been amazing. What a journey. Congratulations. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks to Sean. Thanks to all my guests today. Jane Mangan is still with me and she has some advice for you. Well, today is the Bob's Rashan at Newmarket. 10 runner, good race, 240 at Newmarket. I'm going for Matilda Picoth, not just because she's Irish, but she's had some very solid form this season. This is her sixth start, so she's been battle-hardened. Kieran Cotter will have her ripe and ready. And Declan McDonough is missing out in Dundalk. He's going over to ride her. Sorry, he might be missing out in Dundalk. Hold on. Kieran Cotter will have her ripe and ready. Declan McDonough is making the trip over to ride Matilda Picoth. She's very fast at six furlongs. Catch her if you can. All right, Jane, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget, Charlotte will be back this evening with a roundup of what's happened this week. Uh, That'll be uploaded from 9 o'clock, and I will be back with you from Melbourne on Monday. And the forecast here is showing no signs of getting better, which I'm sure will please some of you, uh, but not others. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you again next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.